Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 62 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and here we are recording a day earlier than usual. The Rangers are playing on Wednesday night against the St. Louis Blues, the big triumphant return of Pavel Buchnevich to Madison Square Garden on Wednesday. So because of that game, I won't be able to record on Wednesday as we usually do Therefore, I am recording today, which is a Tuesday, for an episode that will be released a day early on Wednesday. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, you know that already, but (laughs) that's my little heads up to start off the show. We're coming off a weekend or a long weekend in which the Rangers played games in three out of four days. They won the first one against the Washington Capitals at home on Thursday, but proceeded to lose the next two. So they're currently riding... A short two-game losing streak. Haven't had too many of those this season, though. So interesting to see how they might bounce back for that Wednesday game against the Blues. The schedule is pretty tough in these next few weeks. Playing some quality teams. Playing some teams that they haven't seen a lot of. But also playing some of the the top teams in their division, like Pittsburgh and Carolina. So they've got an interesting portion of the schedule coming up here in the next few weeks. But as far as how they've looked... In these last three games, I do think that the game against Washington on Thursday, a 4-1 to win, was probably their best game. I should say definitely their best game since the All-Star break. The Rangers were outshot. You can look at some of the underlying numbers from that game and say, wow, they didn't exactly blow them away. Maybe the score wasn't indicative of the way that the game was played. But I, I thought that they felt like they were in control for that entire game. I did not think they allowed many dangerous chances to the Capitals. When they did, Igor Shosturkin was great, as he has been really all season. It's It's been really interesting to hear and see recently how not only has he become the clear frontrunner for the Vesna Trophy, I think every writer I've talked to who has a vote in the last few weeks is 100% sounding like if they had to vote today, they would vote for him. But he's even starting to get a little love for the Hart Trophy which that's an interesting debate. I think at the end of the season, I might offer some more thoughts on that once I'm able to dive in deeper and take a a better look at the rest of the league and some of the top, especially forwards in the league and and weigh them, try to weigh the nightly impact versus Igor's. I had a vote last year. I I could get a vote again this year, still waiting to find out on that. But it's an interesting conversation because it's, it's such an apples to oranges thing And you feel like the Vesna Trophy, I think a lot of writers just defer to that as picking the best goalie. But no doubt about it, Igor has been the most valuable player for the Rangers this year. And the Rangers have some stars. They've got Adam Fox. They've got Mika Zibanejad. Chris Kreider's having a great year. Artemi Panarin is a great player, as we know. But among that group, there's no doubt about it in my mind that Igor has been the most valuable. And especially as far as their wins-loss record 
without him, it's nowhere near, I don't think, the point that it's at right now. So anyway, that's just kind of a side note, interesting conversation that I've been hearing picking up a lot more in the last few weeks. But Igor was good in that game against Washington, and the Rangers converted their chances. They were able to generate four five-on-five goals in that game, which we know the five-on-five production has been an issue. But I thought they they cashed in well. They buried their chances when they had them, and they did a pretty good job of creating them, especially the top line, which I want to talk about a little bit more in a few minutes. But on top of that, the Rangers also did a, did a pretty good job, I thought, defensively and physically and really felt like they, they had the Capitals exactly where they wanted them the whole game, and they win comfortably 4-1. to one. So they're feeling good about themselves after that. And, and one more thing here. I should have I should have said this earlier in the program. I'm just so excited to talk about hockey that I forgot to tease our guest. So before I talk about the two losses, really quickly, four-plus minutes into the show, let me mention that Scott Wheeler of The Athletic, the prospect writer that many of you know because he's been on the show before, he recently did his his prospect rankings for the league where he goes team by team and tells you where he thinks each prospect pool ranks as far as a league perspective. But then within that, he also ranks individual prospects from each organization. So we ended up having a really in-depth conversation because Scott recently released those rankings and had the Rangers in a much different spot than he's had them the last few years. So him and I have a really extensive conversation about all kinds of of Rangers prospects and where the organization stands and what they still might need to do to round out that prospect pool, especially in the upcoming draft. So really cool conversation with Scott coming up soon. Didn't want to totally forget to tease that, even though I did for the first few minutes. But now let's get back all over the place right here, but let's get back to what happened after that Capitals game. And that was at the Rangers travel to Pittsburgh to play the Penguins for the first time all season. And that game, while you can definitely look at it and say the Rangers did not have much going offensively in that game, I think that they did a good job of adjusting to the type of game that it was. And after the game, every player we spoke to and Gerard Gallant all said that that felt like a playoff game. It was tight checking. It was very chippy. There was a lot of after-the-whistle pushing and shoving and scrums and things of that nature. And I think both teams were really trying to stand up to the other. That was the first time they had played all season, but they came into that game one point away from each other in the standings. The Rangers were in second place, and the Penguins were in third. The Penguins ended up winning the game one to nothing. Tristan Jari played a really good game for them coming off of a game in which he got pulled. Igor was really good for the Rangers, so the goaltending was really good both ways. And now the Penguins have have overtaken the Rangers for second place, but they have three meetings left to go in these final 30 games. So that game, high intensity. I don't think that the Rangers left Pittsburgh feeling too poorly or bad about the way that they played. They hung in there. They hung tough, but they couldn't score any goals, and ultimately that cost them the game. Then they come back to New York the following night, Sunday, to play the Vancouver Canucks. And not only were they coming off of a back-to-back, but for the first time in eight games, he had made eight starts in a row, I should say, Igor Shosturkin was on the bench and Alexander Georgiev was given the start. And inevitably, we knew that was going to happen. Quite frankly, if I'm being honest with you guys, I thought that Gallant was going to look to get Georgiev a start 
sooner than that. I thought that one of those games coming out of the All-Star break, I was kind of thinking the Detroit game, that he was going to get Georgiev a start because with the All-Star break being two weeks off for the team and and Igor starting a handful, I think three or four games in a row before the All-Star break, it had been a long time since Georgiev saw game action. And, And as we've talked about on the show before, the evidence has shown us that he's the type of goalie where when he's playing frequently, he could do a pretty good job for you and give you a chance to win. But he does not seem to respond very well to starting every week or two, you know, not really being able to get into a rhythm. So Georgiev, I think, predictably did not play very well in that Sunday night game against Vancouver. It was his first start in exactly a month. So even Gallant said after the game, you know, that's kind of on us. I don't really think it's fair to fully put the blame on on him for not being totally sharp when he hadn't had opportunities to get sharp. So there's that to consider for sure. But by the same token, we know that Igor is going to get the vast majority of the starts going down the stretch here. I, I do think that they need to maybe be a little more strategic about working Georgiev in, not only just to keep him fresh and keep him somewhat sharp, but also as a protective measure to make sure that you have Igor healthy for the playoffs. That's got to be a, a primary goal going down the stretch, especially because the Rangers really, when you look at the standings right now, you know, will they be in second? Will they be in third? Even if they drop to fourth, they're comfortably in the playoffs. And once you get there, you want to make sure you have all your guys healthy and ready to go. So I think they should find a few more spots for Georgiev, assuming that he's still here after the trade deadline, which certainly isn't a given, but What it also goes to show you is that when Igor is not in there, especially with the way that this offense is going, you don't have a whole lot of confidence. They're under 500 when Georgiev plays, and they're like 25, 6, and 3 or something crazy like that when Igor plays. So again, that speaks to the value of Igor and how important he's been for this team's success this season. But again, Georgiev did not get a lot of offensive help in that game. And and the thing about that game, which is really a lot different from the Penguins game and I think needs to be noted because I saw some doom and gloom floating around on Twitter during that game. If you watched that first period closely, the Rangers had countless opportunities to score. They, I thought, did an excellent job of not only at five on five, but also they had a couple power plays where... They had prime chances. I mean, feeds where guys were getting the puck in the crease. And you think this looks like it's going to be a sure goal. And Thatcher Demko for the Canucks played outstanding. That was one of the best games that I've seen an opposing goalie play against the Rangers this season. So while we are definitely going to discuss the scoring issues as we have repeatedly in the past, I do think it's a little unfair to, to having watched that game, look at it and say, oh, the offense didn't show up. I really thought in the first period, I mean, Chris Kreider had a handful of really, really good looks. I think he finished with like eight shots on goal. Right off the bat in the second minute of the game, I think it was, Adam Fox sets up Mika Zibanejad right in the crease for what looked like it should have been a, a, an easy goal for them. 
Alexi Lafreniere ends up scoring in the third period. And I also thought that he set up some teammates for some really good looks earlier in that game. So you got to give some credit to Demko as far as the way that that game went. And the fact that the Rangers were shut out in the first two periods, they end up scoring twice in the third. By that point, it, it was too late. They had already been down four to nothing. And and it was, you know, they just weren't going to end up winning that game. You, you knew that going into the third period. As much as they've had this comeback gene in them, when you're down one or two, you can feel good about your chances of coming back. But when you're down four nothing, that's going to be a really, really tall order to, to turn that result around. So I do think that there were some encouraging signs as far as the chances that the Rangers were generating. But the finishing, you know, whether you want to talk about there being a skill to finishing, which obviously there is, but or a mental block frustration setting in, which a couple of the players touched on after the game, the Rangers just aren't finishing enough of their opportunities since they've come out of this all-star break. If you look at five on five in particular, which is we know has been the biggest issue, they've played six games since the all-star break. In four of them, they've scored one five on five goal or fewer. And in five of them, they've scored two or fewer. So the only time that they scored more than two five on five goals in a game since the all-star break was that Thursday night game against the Capitals. You look at this lineup that the Rangers are putting out there recently, and I would argue that seven of the 12 forwards that they've been using simply don't bring much offense. The bottom six has basically been a big zero as far as offensive production. I think Barclay Gaudreau had a goal in one of these games playing on that fourth line or what really we should honestly be calling the third line at this point with Ryan Reeves and Kevin Rooney. But beyond that, it has been dependent on the top six and specifically dependent on the top line. And that really, quite frankly, is the only line that you feel good about with the way that they're going right now. Chris Kreider, Mika Zibanejad, and Alexi Lafreniere, with each passing game, you see the chemistry blooming. You see Lafreniere in particular, his confidence is skyrocketing right now. He's scored a few goals, including a goal in the third period against the Canucks. He's up to 12 on the season, which is, you know, after you get past those top forwards of Zabanajad, Kreider, and Panarin, Lafreniere, I believe, is fourth among the forwards in scoring. And all of those goals have been at even strength. So that's something to consider as well. We know he doesn't get much power play time, but at even strength, he's been quite productive. And, and especially recently, getting the chance to play with such highly skilled players in Zabanajad and Kreider. And we're going to talk to Scott Wheeler about uh, Lafreniere's progression a little bit during, during our interview. But even some of the passes that he was making, you can look at his numbers for the season and say, wow, how does a guy who is the number one overall pick only have four assists? But I thought he could have had three assists in that game against the Canucks alone. He had a really great drop pass to Zabanajad against the Capitals that I thought just showed the fact that he's playing with a lot of confidence. Didn't even really have to look at Mika, just knew where to put the puck to put it in Mika's wheelhouse. And then Mika finishes it with the one-timer. The way that he is seeing the ice and the passes that he is making, that to me is a sign that this guy is, is starting to feel himself. And when he was drafted, a lot of people will remember he wasn't regarded as a goal scorer. I mean, he had plenty of goals in juniors, don't get me wrong, but he was regarded more as a playmaker. And I think that given this longer leash to play on the top line, given the quality of the players that he's playing with, this is exactly what he needed. You could argue, certainly, I would argue, 
that it took the Rangers a little too long to come around on giving him this opportunity, but they're letting him run with it now, and he's playing really well. And that top line, if you look at the production, I'm actually writing about it for Wednesday for the pregame story. If you look at the production for that top line, it's been it's been really good coming out of the All-Star break. It's the other three lines that have been really lackluster. Even that Strom-Panarin line, they got a goal at the end of the game and against the Canucks, but that right wing spot has been a revolving door for them, especially with Capo Caco not being an option right now. Dryden Hunt, it looks like he's going to be there again for the game against St. Louis, but he clearly, to me, is not the answer. Goudreau, Gallant prefers him down in the bottom six, which is understandable. I do think that that creates a better balanced look for the lineup. But, you know, whether it's trade deadline or Kako coming back, whichever happens first, the Rangers need to get Panarin and Strom some help. Although Strom, to his credit after the game the other night, put a lot of the blame on, on himself and on Panarin as well and said, you know, we are goal scoring guys. That's our role on this team and we need to produce more. So I think they have been sort of falling off a little bit recently. And then the bottom six, again, it's basically a black hole offensively right now. And listen, a lot of people I know are upset. (laughs) I see it every day on Twitter about the fact that Gallant keeps going with Greg McKaig. I'm with you guys. I absolutely believe that both Philip Heedle and Morgan Barron, as we've talked about before, should be in the lineup over McKaig. And and it is kind of peculiar that, that Gallant has this fascination with him. I can tell you why, because we've asked him about it. He values the veteran presence. He values the fact that McKay can take faceoffs and kill penalties, and he looks at as a, as a better defensive player than someone like Heedle right now. So th- that is the reason that he is playing him. But you know, from a big-picture perspective, I absolutely believe that it's better off for the Rangers to have Heedle and Barron in the lineup, not to mention the fact that I think you have a better chance of getting any kind of offense out of those guys versus McKay. But ultimately, McKeg is not the difference between a win and a loss for the Rangers in, in the situation that they're in right now. They need they need more help. They need Kako back, and they need to get someone at the trade deadline to really make this forward group feel whole. And so we're just sort of waiting for those shoes to drop. It's going to be an ongoing conversation. We're still three weeks away from the trade deadline. It's... <laughs> know that's crazy to even think about because it feels like we've been talking about it forever but we're going to talk about it for a few more weeks because we're still not quite there yet so that's where they're at st louis will be an interesting bounce back game their their playoff position as far as the rangers go is still very very secure but we've seen now that they are not getting away from this conversation about needing more offense if anything it's getting amplified And that's where we sit as we look ahead to these final 30 games of the regular season. All right, done enough talking for this opening segment. Let's shift to our interview with Scott Wheeler, and then I'll be back after that interview to answer some of your Twitter questions. Now let's welcome back into the show a familiar guest, a guest that we've had on, I think, the last each of the last three years, every time he does his prospect rankings, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic is one of my favorite guys to read for that stuff. And now that we've seen where he ranked the Rangers and some of their top prospects, want to get him on the show to analyze that and break some of that stuff down. So, Scott, how's it going? Thanks for coming back on. I always appreciate the time. It's going well. It's going well. I uh, we're about. Uh, I was just talking to you before I hopped on here, but we're about three and a half weeks into the move and finally starting to 
get settled into our new place. Other than that, n- nothing new on my front. Happy to be through with the prospect rankings that we're, we're about to talk about because January was January was a grind. Yeah, I can't imagine doing all of that writing while simultaneously trying to move. I mean, I've, I've been there before, so I guess I get it, but it, it does not, it's not fun. No, it wasn't. It was January was probably the busiest work month I've had in five years at The Athletic. And then on top of that, moving with a, a nine month old. So it was there, there was a lot going on. And we're, we're now into a little bit of a quiet period. March is actually kind of the only month where I don't have travel this year. So I'm, I've actually got three or four weeks at home without having to fly or go anywhere. Uh, the, the top prospects game is in Kitchener. The CHL top prospects game is in Kitchener in a couple of weeks, but that's just a hour and a half long drive for me. So not a big deal. So it's nice to have some, some time to get settled into the new place before things really ramp up again, April, May, June. Time to get settled and time to let us pester you about some of these Rangers prospect rankings. So we'll, we'll dive into that. Now, I think last year you had them number two, and I know a lot of people had them rated as one of the top prospect pools in the league for the, for a couple of years there. This year you dropped them to 18, but I I think the important disclaimer, and I saw that you wrote this at the top of your story, is that they have had a lot of their high quality guys, Alexi Lafreniere, Keandre Miller graduate. And even, Mm -hmm. you know, even before that, Igor Shesterkin. So I, I guess, is that more of a product of because they had stockpiled all these young players that eventually they were going to crack the NHL roster and, and the prospect pool inevitably was going to take a hit. Yeah. I mean, that's just the cyclical nature of the beast. They tried to go through that sort of reset, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. They tried to move through it pretty quickly. They didn't want to linger in it like LA has and like the Ottawa Senators have and like the Buffalo Sabres are about to. And that's not necessarily every team's approach, but it, it worked for them. And they've obviously been able to really turn things around quickly. And the byproduct of that is also kids graduating and kids moving on and the prospect pool getting watered down a little bit. And that's not to even discredit the guys they currently do have. I'm sure we'll get into them, but Zach Jones, Brennan Othman, like they're, they're still legit quality in, in their group. But you're right. There, there's no Keandre Miller at the time when I released the rankings. Nils Lundqvist was with the NHL club, and it looked like he wasn't going to sort of bounce between the AHL and the NHL like he has a bit recently. So uh, all of that came into play, and it just made their group a little bit thinner at the top. Uh, but still, uh, like I said, there's still the Othmans, the Brett Berards, the Zach Joneses. There, there's some legitimate pieces in there. I, I think just really quickly for one of the guys who graduated and was the crown jewel of the prospect pool at this time, when you did the rankings the previous year, Alexi Lafreniere, I know a lot of people felt like he didn't take off as quickly as, especially fans as, as they wanted to see him as the number Mm -hmm. one overall pick in the draft. And I know that when we had you on the podcast around the time he was drafted, you would kind of caution said, listen, this is not a Connor McDavid level guy, but there's a lot of things to like about him. And he's obviously going to be a top six guy you felt. And I know pretty much everybody felt like recently now that he's getting a chance to play consistent top line minutes to me, this is by far the most confident we've seen him. The goals are ticking up recently. I think he's been robbed in several situations, including the other night against the Canucks where he could have had assist. I think that vision and that playmaking that we had heard so much about is really bubbling to the surface right now. I don't know how much you've had a chance to watch him, but, but from what you've gathered recently, are, are you starting to see that arrow pointing in the direction that you expected it to? 
Well, I've caught the Rangers a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, and I've been impressed with what I've seen. It's certainly, Alexi, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of pessimism that has sort of bubbled to the forefront about his game, and some of it is is real. Some of it is anchored in the reality of he hasn't looked like a first overall pick. And increasingly, I think we can say that about a lot of kids. I think the expectation after 2015 and 2016 was that every year we were going to get an Austin Matthews or a Connor McDavid. And I think people were a little bit spoiled. And as we've seen with virtually every first overall pick since then, whether it's Rasmus Dahlin, whether it's Nico Hishier, whether it's even Jack Hughes and the slow start that he had, Owen Power going back to college instead of straight into the NHL this year. Some of this sort of disappointments and questions that are now popping up about Shane Wright in the upcoming draft. It's pretty rare to get that McDavid Matthews type. I think we're going to get it again next year in 2023 with Connor Bedard and Matt Demichkov, but that's eight years apart. That's seven, eight years apart between the, the last talent like that and the next one. So it's actually quite uh, more frequent that you just get a good player and that you don't necessarily get the true superstar talent first overall. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing with Alexi. But in saying that, some of the concerns that that worried me about him were the skating in particular. Obviously, he dealt with a high ankle sprain throughout his draft year. There were questions about the health of his ankle, even right into the draft. Uh, he's a bit of a heavier kid on his skates, which is always going to make being super lightweight and, and sort of fleet of foot, a little bit of a challenge for him, even when he is fully healthy. Uh, and then ob- obviously opportunity. I mean, look at the left wing depth there. The left wing depth in New York, as you know, is among the best in the league and has been with Panarin and company. So that, that all just made it a tricky situation for him. And I think it's nice now to see him beginning to look like himself, looking confident in control of the puck. He's not making quick decisions. You're seeing some delay to his game. So there, there's a lot to like now about with just the way he's playing and how he's come along. Um, and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what this final third of the season looks like. And then especially what next year looks like, because it doesn't always happen overnight. It didn't with Nathan McKinnon where, I mean, he was a much better player in the early going than, than Alexi has been, but it's still Nathan McKinnon wasn't the Nathan McKinnon of today until three, four years into his career. And I think you'll see a similar trajectory with, with Alexi where maybe he doesn't become the, the true star that you were hoping for, but if he can become a 60 point, first or second line winger that is still a a success and it's still a big piece of the puzzle and even if he's not a 10 million dollar player maybe he becomes a six seven million dollar player in the prime of his career and is still a huge important cog in that wheel so uh, i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what he does with it and i hope that they'll give him more leash here uh it's uh, i was on a blackhawks podcast recently and said the same about kirby doc there where eventually you just got to give a guy a look and you got to, you got to give him a, a lengthy look and you can't pull them down in the roster and expect him to produce. It's just not how it works in the NHL these days for almost any player. Uh, so he needs minutes. He needs to be playing 17, 18 minutes instead of 13, 14. And that's when you're really going to see the difference. We're seeing it right now with Cole Caulfield. So uh, I would really just like to see him play a little bit more is, is my honest answer in terms of, finding out what he is. I think it's been hard to this point to make real determinations just because he hasn't really played all that much. Yeah. I think you hit on two really, really key points there. The first is 
definitely now in a year and a half of watching him play, the, the skating looks like the one thing that might hold him back a little bit from really being a star player. But yeah. on the other hand, when you talk about usage and opportunity, he was he was mostly used on the third line in his first year and a half. And, and the Rangers have a lot of issues in their bottom six right now, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to scoring depth. He wasn't really surrounded by a lot of talent there. Uh, the, the best decision I think they, they could have made for him, they probably should have done it sooner, was to say, you know what, we have all this depth on the left wing. You're going to have to learn the adjustment to right wing, but that is going to give you the opportunity to play with two star players, Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider. And yeah. we were just talking to Mika about it at practice today. I mean, the, the confidence that he's playing with, like everybody's kind of looked at his stats and said, you know, when he was in juniors, he was more of a playmaker. He had more assists than goals. And he really does not. I think he has like four assists on the season, but you've just seen the way that he's seeing the ice, the confidence that he's making some of these passes with. He could have had three assists the other night against the Canucks. Thatcher Demko played, played great and stonewalled them on a handful of occasions, but that playmaking is is really showing up now that he's playing with these, these level of players that I think is giving him the confidence to to feel himself a little bit more. And, and like you said, I'm really curious to see where it goes, but it's the right decision for him to be playing there right now. Move. I want to, I there's a couple other forwards I want to ask you about, but the defenseman thing is interesting to me. Keandre Miller. I, I think, you know, of all the players that the Rangers drafted, during the rebuild era. So I'm not including Igor Shesterkin because he's been outstanding, but in the mm-hmm. 17, 18, 19, 20 drafts, I, I would argue that Keandre Miller is having the biggest impact on the NHL roster this season from an upside perspective with his mobility, with the way that he skates, with the way that he can handle the puck, with the way that he shoots. And, and now because of that length and that skating, we're seeing him, I think, be more assertive and decisive in the defensive zone. To me, the upside for him has to probably be the highest of any of the defensive prospects. Would you agree with that? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm not sure it's the highest. I I think in terms of his ability to play big minutes, you're certainly looking at him as the guy who who can handle the toughest matchups of that bunch. But I'm not sure whether that will result in him having the overall highest upside. I, I I really like what they have in Braden Schneider and Zach Jones and Nils Lundqvist. I know you haven't seen it yet, and there has been a comfort level that has developed already with Keandre where you know what he is. He's playing fairly significant minutes, has played 20-plus minutes a night fairly regularly over the course of the last two seasons. All of that is true. And I think because of that, that there it's easy to get more excited about him than the other guys where there's some still a lot of unknown. But I think they've got a legitimate opportunity to get a a couple more top four pieces out of that group and that's tricky obviously with Adam Fox and Jacob Truba already taking up obviously two of those spots long term Uh, but in in saying that I still think there's some real quality in those other guys and that if they don't get past Keandre that they might get at least close to him in, in a couple of those scenarios so even if not every one of those four names that I just mentioned works out even if they can get two of Jones, Lundqvist, and uh, uh, Schneider to work out. I, I think that is a significant, significant win for them and will help them in this sort of contending window that they're about to enter into if they're not already in it. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I know that's not the exact answer maybe you were looking for, but I do think that as good as Keandre is and as different as he is from those other guys, that if those other guys hit, they're going to be comparable in terms of, of upside impact, all of that. 
the the key, as you mentioned, they have four guys who you could easily envision having NHL roles moving forward is going to be deciding which ones they keep. And then ultimately they're going to, I think, trade at least one of them and, and try to parlay that into a forward because you can't keep them all because yeah. of Fox and Truba and the other stuff you touched on. So Miller and Lundquist aren't included in your rankings. You have Zach Jones as the highest rated defenseman there. Do you, yep. do you do you have a favorite defenseman prospect from that four? Is that is that hard to answer at this point? Well, I think heading into this year, I probably would have said Nils. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of just the way he plays. I thought he was tremendous the previous two years in Sweden. He really turned me from someone who I think I had him 50th the year he was drafted. So he really turned me into someone who was kind of laissez-faire, kind of blasé on him into a, a real believer. I know this year hasn't been perfect. It's been a bit of a weird year for him as he gets acclimated to North America. But I think Nils is fabulous. And I think he's going to really thrive under the right coach and in the right role on a roster. And now it's just a question of, can they get that for him? And if they can't, they should move him probably sooner rather than later, because the longer you wait and the less opportunity he gets, the more his his value is going to be watered down league-wide. So it's a tricky situation with Nils, but I would I would argue that Nils is a better prospect than than Braden Schneider or Zach Jones. Uh, Keandre is tricky because we already know what Keandre is, but certainly as far as the other three go, uh, if Nils had have been ranked in my in my 2022 rankings a month ago, he would have likely slotted sort of just ahead, narrowly ahead of both Jones and Schneider. The the I'm curious if if you've heard much on this or have any thoughts on this Lundqvist. I think if you can put him on a top power play unit and use him in those roles where, where you know he works best, then I, I think that enhances the value of him. But because they have Fox on the roster, the best mm-hmm. he can do is the second power play unit, which Gerard Gallant doesn't really use the second play, the second power play unit very often anyway. But because of his slow start in the NHL, do you has his prospect value taken a hit because of that? Or do you think that because of the body of work in Sweden that teams would still look him as look at him as one of the best prospects in the league? I think it's probably taken a modest hit. Um, Certainly he still has that cachet that came with the previous two years and just how tremendous he was in the SHL, especially for his age. But there's no question that if you're bargaining in that in advance of the deadline and you're the New York Rangers and a team asks about Nils Lundqvist, that they're asking at him about him from a bit of an advantageous spot because I think the easy argument would be to to be made on behalf of other teams would be that this year has not maybe not proven what he is, but it has lowered the excitement around what he could be, and that's just natural of every player once they start playing in the NHL if their success isn't immediate, which I think is often unfair to them and and their value and the perception of of them because I still think we haven't even seen Nils scratch the surface yet, but. In saying that, it, it's it's that's the reality. The reality is that I, I think this year would if they were to have dealt him last summer, he would have been moved at a higher value than he currently has. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's probably unfair to pass judgment based on just 25 NHL games, but that's kind of the reality of the situation. And right now, clearly their favorite of those, if if we're not including Miller of the other three their favorite of those defenseman prospects, the one that they're most comfortable using in an NHL game is Braden Schneider. And it even looks like right now Jones is ahead of Lundqvist. So the organizational pecking order has changed a little bit. And it's really interesting. And I think there is 
a very fair chance that one of them is gone come the trade deadline. And there is almost a 100% chance that at least one of them is gone by the summer. They're, they, they know they need to move one of them and it's going to be interesting to see which decision, decision they make. And, and Lundquist at this point, I think he, he's the one that I would be least surprised to see go given the way we've seen this play out. I, w- I want to shift to the forwards now though. And, and your number one prospect in the organization and based on the season he's having, I, I think it's hard to argue with, Brennan Othman, I think he had like a five, his scoring has been incredible in the OHL. I think he had a five point game the other night. One of the top scorers in that league. Has he exceeded your expectations this season? Do you think that he's been maybe the guy that's given himself the biggest boost among the Rangers prospects with the way he's performed this year? Well, I think you could easily make that same case for Brett Burrard. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually currently working on a feature before I hopped on this call and, and currently working on a feature that I've been trying to finish on Burrard for several months here. So that'll be out in the next couple of weeks. And cool. really looking forward to sharing that because some fascinating insight from people in his inner circle about him and his journey. But certainly Brett has completely changed his outlook as a prospect. He's not a fifth round pick anymore. Nobody views him as a fifth round pick anymore. Uh, but Brennan has helped himself as well, for sure. I mean, there's no question that Offman has improved his stock this year. There were a lot of questions last year in advance of the draft about, I don't want to say attitude, attitude's the wrong word, but just about kind of the way that he carried himself and not just on the ice, but off the ice and some sort of rub some people the wrong ways in interviews and that kind of a thing. I think people thought that he thought he was a big shot and uh, he needed to be humbled a little bit. Uh, but beyond that, everybody has always recognized that Offman is a tremendous, tremendous talent. He was a superstar in minor hockey playing alongside Shane Wright. He was expected to be a top scorer in the OHL almost immediately. And it took him a little bit of time to, to figure it out in Flint, uh, in that rookie season. And then obviously last year was a weird one with him going over to Switzerland, uh, but this season, you're seeing the best of him. You're seeing the natural goal scoring. You're seeing his ability to finish and create for himself and really dictate with the puck on his stick. There really isn't a lot of help on that Flint team, I would argue. And he manufactures a lot of that offense for himself and by himself, which is a very, very hard thing to do. And typically a very good sign that he, his game will translate at the next level. So it's nice to see him be a star in that league and, and follow through on the promise and the offensive talent that everybody always knew he had. And now it's just about getting back into the gym with his strength coach, uh, training, getting the, the sort of muscle that's been difficult for him to add over the years. I did a story on him as well in advance of the draft. And the training piece is definitely something that's come maybe a little bit later than, than you expect for a hockey player. So he's got to figure that out. And then it's like, like any player in, in who plays his style of game, he's the kind of kid who's going to need power play time and good line mates at the next level. Uh, he's just not, he, he's not the kind of kid who's going to start on an NHL fourth line and then work his way up the up the lineup. I think if he starts in that kind of a role, He's going, to, he's going to look bad and he's not going to play at his best. And then suddenly you're going to have coaches asking questions about him. So uh, a, a little bit of a boom and bust element, maybe, but the, the talent and his ability to make plays and make reads and then finish when he has an opportunity is very, very high end. And I think will make him an excellent offensive top six player in the NHL, which is a big deal for the Rangers organization. I think everybody seems to kind of be in agreement recently that, that he has ascended as the Rangers arguably top prospect, but definitely top forward prospect. 
But Berard, mm-hmm. and I, I know you've been high on Berard. A lot of people I've talked to are high on Berard. He he was one of the guys who I had ranked high when we did our prospect rankings in the summer as well. It sounds like you think, based on value, you mentioned he's a fifth round pick, best pick the Rangers have made in recent years. It's certainly up there. I mean, the, the Keandre pick looks good. The Zach Jones pick looks really good where they got Zach. But, I mean, Brett was a fifth rounder, and you'd almost never see talent sort of this quickly turn itself into, okay, he's a small kid who's not going to make it or whose odds at making it are long to a year and a half later only, he's a legitimate prospect with real aspirations of coming out of Providence and playing in the NHL. That's that's a very different outlook on Brett. So. Uh, it, it's been a crazy journey for me. I can't, for him, I can't wait to tell it personally. Uh, and that piece of it, I think is, is very exciting for the Rangers because you have to find value everywhere. And Brett, unlike someone like a Brennan Ackman, Brett will thrive in a fourth line role, right? Like he's just a hound and physical. And despite being five, nine and 165 pounds, just in your face, pesky, feisty little players. So he's the kind of player where even if there isn't an opportunity to give him uh, looks offensively that will allow him to use his skill to make plays right away, he'll. I don't think coaches will be complaining about using him in a checking role. That's he can kind of do both of those those things. So Brett's a player where I think he's just going to fit in wherever a coach needs him, and he's going to excel and. Despite the fact that he's small, he he certainly doesn't play like it. So uh, really, really excited to see what he does with it. He's going to be at Providence still for a while here. Like He's not turning pro at the end of his sophomore year or anything. Uh, but whether it's his, after his junior year or after his senior year, I think just the, the expectations for him are so much higher now than they were when he slipped to the fifth round, right? Yeah, and you mentioned the checking role. We saw him excel in that role at the World Juniors last year for Team USA. Mm -hmm. And then it looked like he was going to be on the top line for Team USA this year, which I think a lot of Rangers fans were excited to see. Yeah, Unfortunately, unfortunately didn't get that chance. But uh, that kind of pivots me to another guy. So you're high on Berard. Offman's your number one prospect as far as the forwards go. One guy that was a little bit lower than I thought, or maybe I should say, at least I know that the the Rangers view it because I know they are very high on this guy. And he was looking like he was going to have a role for Team Canada in the World Juniors is Will Cooley. And they were going to use mm-hmm. him in a fourth line role because, you know, he, he, he can do some of the pesky, energetic kind of physical things. But he's a much bigger guy than a, than a kid like Berard is Will Cooley. So I think of all these forward prospects, he might have the best chance of actually playing for the Rangers next season. Uh, So I know they're very high on him. I know that they were very impressed by what they saw when he was here for development camp, but do you see a little more limitation than I guess maybe some other people do? Yeah, definitely. As far as next season goes, I, there is almost no chance I would be playing Will Cooley in the NHL next year. Um, That's not to say he's not a legit prospect, he is. He's been great this year. He can shoot it like an NHLer. He has delivered some of the hardest checks that I have ever seen delivered at the junior level. Like he just once or twice a week, once every other game kind of thing will just run someone over. Uh, and that piece of it is obviously extremely appealing for NHL clubs, even today, even as the game changes in, in the bottom of a, of a lineup, right? If, if he can play a physical role, be bigger and stronger and heavier than everybody else, 
be good on the cycle, help penalty kill, and then also put the puck in the net 10, 15 times a year, that's suddenly a, a very good role player. And I think that's what you have to expect out of Will. He's not a good enough skater or playmaker. He doesn't see the ice well enough to be a top six guy long-term, I don't think at all. But if he can become a fourth line guy for you, that's a success for that with that pick. And if he can become a third line guy, that's a home run. So I think that's what they're building towards with Will is just a big, physical, strong, sort of imposing player who also has a very heavy, hard shot that can sort of put the puck in the net. Uh, and that's that's his bread and butter. That's what his game has always been about. He's not out there trying to fool anyone or or change his game or change the way he plays. It's it's pretty predictable in terms of what you're going to get from Cooley. Uh, but for the same reason that Canada liked him in that role on the fourth line, I think there's a potential that the Rangers may like him someday in that third, fourth line kind of a role where he gives a line some strength and physicality and just gives a roster a little bit of a different dimension. So um yeah, a little bit of a throwback, not not like a lot of the forward prospects that we're seeing enter the league these days, to be quite honest. But that gives him an edge almost as well. It gives him something that nobody else has, and that's appealing. So with him, it's just, is he going to be able to keep up and skate at the NHL level? And uh, I would I would argue that he's going to need some time in the AHL to, to figure that out before making that jump to the Rangers roster, for example. Yeah, and I think you, you you hit it there that bottom six is his future, and that's how the Rangers view him. And I, the way that their payroll shakes out, especially looking ahead to next year when their salary cap situation is going to get tight, they've got some really highly paid stars. They're going to want some entry-level contract guys who can play bottom six roles and do it cheap for them. And that's why yep. I think Cooley's a guy who they, they look at. He'll definitely be in camp next year, and whether he goes AHL, NHL, I think he'll have an opportunity to compete for a spot. Last thing I want to ask you before I let you get out of here, Scott, is the the I think the biggest question mark that a lot of us have for the Rangers prospect pool is center because we know they have Mika, who's a legitimate number one center. Ryan Strom is an expiring contract. Philip Heedle hasn't turned out or, or taken off in the, in the way that I think people were hoping for a couple years ago. There's questions about his future with the team. And then beyond that, the center depth is is really, I feel like, the biggest question mark for their prospect pool. And with that yeah. question, there's two specific guys I want to touch on. Ryder Korzak is having a, a great year in the WHL this season. And as a third round pick, looks like there could be some value there for the Rangers that they got him in this last draft, the 2021 draft. And then another guy who's kind of heading in the opposite direction right now is Carl Hendrickson. The Rangers were really high on him when they took him in the second round. I think it was 19. And he just doesn't seem to be producing very much. He's playing... For for Lunda, one of you know what traditionally one of the better teams in the SHL, and uh, I, he has he's had mm-hmm. some opportunities where I think he's playing pretty frequently, but the point production has not been there. Obviously, I don't get to watch him very often, but those two guys in particular seem to kind of be trending in opposite directions, and I'm curious how you feel overall about the Rangers' center depth. Well, it's an issue. There's there's no question. I mean, it, really, outside of those two guys, you have Evan Beerling, who is a talented kid who appears to underperform as well. Uh, I've often watched Evan. I've learned a lot about why he left Flint and everything that went into his bizarre draft year. And uh, he really struggled there and wanted to be closer to home. And um, it's, it's just been a complicated thing with Evan Beerling in particular. And then other than that, you're right. It's basically Carl and, and Ryder Korzak. And 
I like Ryder, but Ryder has some limitations as well. He is a pass first playmaking center who works hard, but he really doesn't have a defining quality outside of maybe kind of his feel with the puck and his ability to read coverage and, and make plays as a passer. He's a very good player on that Moose Jaw team. That Moose Jaw team is a ton of fun to watch. They have a couple of kids in next year's draft who are really exciting. They're a very young team. They've got a, a, another kid who's going to go in probably in the second round in this year's draft. So he's become really a catalyst on a young team, and they're all, all going to get to try to do it again next year, and they're going to be better next year when they're a year older. And uh, they've done a good job sort of rebuilding that Moose Jaw team from uh, basically a bottom feeder into a pretty good, impressive young team. Uh, so it's been fun to watch him for sure, but I just don't know what Ryder is at the next level. I like him as a prospect. He's a good B grade prospect. He ranked in my second round in ahead of last year's draft, all of that. Uh, but I, I just, I don't know whether he's going to be talented enough to play at the top of the lineup, despite the fact that he does work very hard and he's a very likable, well-rounded player off the puck. I'm not sure any coach is really going to view him as a, as a sort of fourth line guy or role player. So He's going to, he's the kind of player where he's going to have to finish his career in the WHL sign and then play a season or two in the AHL and work his way up from there. He's not the kind of prospect that's just going to go straight from junior into the NHL. He's just not talented enough and he just doesn't have enough notoriety, frankly, either. So uh, Ryder's an interesting one. He was a bit on the older side of last year's draft and this year has been really big for him, but there's going to be some important decisions coming kind of around the corner for him and the Rangers. And they've got to figure out how they want to use him and develop him long-term because he's a little bit of a unique player. So the the answer is that there just isn't much there. There's a chance that none of those guys become NHLers. And Carl, who I haven't even really touched on, is it's difficult to see the path forward for Carl at this point. He's still young. He's still only 20, uh, if, despite the fact that it feels like he's been around for a long time, but him and Lucas Raymond, obviously back in the day at the junior level, really had a good thing going. And I think now that he hasn't been able to do much without Lucas, there are questions, legit questions as to whether he was heavily influenced by playing with Lucas, both on the same line with the national team and with Berlinda's junior team. So uh, it, it's, it's been a tough go of him in the last couple of years, and he just can't really establish himself as an offensive player. And like, some of the other names we've talked about because of his size and the style of game that he plays, he's never going to be a depth guy in the NHL. So uh, it's, uh, I think there's a chance Henriksen becomes a very good AHL player, but I'm just not sure he's going to, going to be more than that, like more than a potential call up option two or three years from now, that kind of a thing. I don't think everyday NHLer is maybe still in the cards for him. You never want to draft for need, but you look at either the guys that have recently arrived at the NHL for the Rangers or the guys that are coming and at wing and at defense. And then with Igor and net, they, they look to be in really good shape with, with a lot of depth, but that center mm-hmm. question I feel like is going to linger. And, and I don't really know what the clear cut answer is at this point, but Scott, we've taken enough of your time. I really, really appreciate it. Lo- love all the coverage. You guys should definitely go check them out at the athletic and we will definitely be looking out for that Brett Berard feature. Nice getting a little teasing on that one, but we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll do it again down the line. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this Berard story as well. That should be next week or two. So it's coming. Cool. We'll definitely share that one. Thanks again, Scott. Cheers.
Welcome back, and thanks to Scott for taking the time to come on the show. Scott is definitely one of my go-to guys for prospect stuff, one of the guys I've probably read most frequently over the years. I would say him and Chris Peters, who you guys have heard on the show as well, are probably my two favorites or my, my two top guys. Cam Robinson, actually, I should mention Cam, too, who's been on the show before. Maybe I would say those are my my three guys that I, that I look to the most, but always appreciate Scott's time, and I definitely always keep my eye out for when he has those prospect rankings come out because I think it's interesting to have him come on the show and sort of bounce things off of him and, and figure out what he's hearing and seeing versus what I'm hearing. And there was even some guys that we didn't talk about there that I, in the back of my mind, probably wanted to bring up, but it ended up being a long interview. So I didn't want to take up too much of his time. But, you know, I was thinking about asking about Vitaly Kratsov and what he's seen from him since he went back to the KHL or Dylan Garand, who I know Scott is very high on as far as a goalie prospect. There's a bunch of other guys we could have talked about, but Hit on a lot of different things there, and to me at least, I thought it was a really interesting conversation. Hope you guys agreed. All right, now you know what happens next. It's time for your Twitter questions, and got three of them here in front of me that I think are are good topics that I want to address, so we're going to dive right in. And the first one comes from Kanish Theroar, who wrote, What do you make of Galant's encouraging guidance to Heedle? comparing him to Zabanajad. If you compare the early years of their respective careers, they're quite similar in points per game. I desperately want Heedle to succeed, and I'm curious what you think his ceiling is. So this is a good question and definitely something I wanted to address on this week's episode. I tweeted out following Tuesday's practice what Gallant said about Heedle. Now, Heedle has not played for the last three games, the first game that he missed was that Thursday game against the Capitals. Gallant's reason for that was he said that Heedle was under the weather. But heading to Pittsburgh on Saturday, before the game, I asked Gallant, is Heedle healthy enough to play today? He said yes. He said he was an option, but he chose not to play him Saturday and Sunday. So he was scratched three times. We can call two of those healthy scratches, which first off, before we even get into this question, I'll say this, that to me, that is an extremely puzzling decision from a couple perspectives. Number one, we've talked about the lack of offense and and as unproductive as Heedle has been, you still feel like there's a better chance that he is going to generate some scoring for you than pretty much anybody else who's currently in the bottom six. So with the lack of offense the Rangers have had, I don't really understand why they would choose not to play him in a third line type of role at this, especially at this stage, you know, after the trade deadline, after Cockle comes back, we could have that conversation again. But at this stage right now, I think he's definitely better than the other options as far as offense goes. And then the other thing that I think is even more puzzling is from this perspective, if the Rangers are growing increasingly, I don't know if frustrated is the right word, but less confident, in him, which clearly they are, you're not. He, he has not solidified a role. You're not going to scratch him, choose not to play him in the lineup when he's an option for you if you have full confidence in him. And you guys know, we've talked about this before, that he's a guy that I believe they have been willing to engage in as far as trade discussion. If, if he might ultimately get traded for you, taking him out of your lineup does not help you in that regard. If I'm an opposing GM and I'm looking at the Rangers and saying, okay, I'm interested in getting Heedle. 
I'm trying to get him at a discounted rate at this point. I'm going to say, well, you know, he's not even good to, good enough to be in your lineup when you don't have Kaka, when you, when you guys aren't at full strength. When you're struggling to score, you're still choosing not to put him in your lineup. So I, I don't think from that perspective, and listen, Gallant, I'm sure, does not think about those kind of things when he's writing out the lineup. But from an organizational perspective, I just don't see how it helps you at all to not play him because I think that's sending a message to the rest of the league that you're still not sold on the guy. And that is not going to help you if you do ultimately decide that that you're going to include him in a trade. Now, as far as your question, Kanish, about what do I make of Gallant, what he said today when he compared him to Mika Zibanejad, a lot of people I noticed after I shared that quote got sort of rubbed the wrong way by it because it seemed like people took that as saying, oh, you know, why don't you just go and be like this guy who's one of the best centers in the league? It's so easy. Just go do it. I'll admit that when he first said it, I was like a little perplexed. I was a little, because generally speaking, Gallant is not a guy who, when we ask him for specifics on what he wants to see more of out of a certain player who's struggling, he keeps things pretty simple. He's not going to go in there and dive into X's and O's and a lot of analysis with you. He just always goes back to wanting them to play hard, wanting them to play a 200-foot game, be committed defensively, do those little things, be physical. That That is really what he asks of his players more than anything. I don't think he does a whole lot of in-depth skill work with the top, top guys. I think that he more just wants, especially from his bottom six guys, he wants to know that he's getting maximum effort from them. So he always kind of defers back to those kind of comments. And and you're generally, like a lot of people, we were talking about McKaig, you're not going to get a whole lot out of him except for he's a veteran, he kills penalties, he does these little things that I like. But with Heedle today, he went in a little bit of a different direction by saying, I, I'd like him to, to play more like Mika Zibanejad. Now, that's obviously a, a pretty uh, a pretty obvious thing for to say. That's something that, of course, if he could be more like Mika, he'd love to be that way. But upon further analysis and, and just, you know, I think having a general understanding of where Gallant is coming from, he is saying that Mika is a good guy for any young center to look at and try to model his game after. And specifically, we know how hard Mika plays on every shift. And we know that Zabanajad, on top of being one of the most skilled scorers in the league, he hustles his butt off in the defensive zone. He kills penalties. He does a lot of those things that Gallant really appreciates and values. And that's what he was really harping on with Heedle, was that he wants... Heedle to be a guy who skates hard in all three zones, commits defensively, and plays the old cliche, the 200-foot game. So I I don't think that it was really a knock on Heedle or anything that I would get worked up on if I were you guys. But it is an interesting comparison you make here when you say his numbers are similar to Mika's early in his career. To some degree, that's true. But Heedle has been a guy who's averaging fairly under a half a point per game, where if you look at Mika's first four seasons with Ottawa, he was right around a half point per game, crept up a little higher, but his goal scoring rate was higher. I mean, his second, or really his first full season in the league, he had 16 goals, then he hit 20, then he hit 21 before he was traded. So Mika had shown a little more goal scoring prowess than Heedle has to this point. 
And I think there was a little bit more to like about his game at that early stage. Although, to your point, he did not take off right away. It took him a handful of years in the league to really find his stride and become the all-star that he is now. So that is a fair point. And we've talked about patience before with some of these prospects. And, and we've talked about the talent that Heedle has. And, and see, if I were a Rangers fan or if I was Chris Drury, I would be concerned in the back of my mind about if I trade this guy at 22 years old with the skill that he has, the speed that he has, he's a strong guy. I think he doesn't get enough credit for that. I think he's one of the more physically fit players on the team. And we've seen it pop on occasion. You're just, your main knock on him right now is inconsistency. It certainly has not been consistent enough. Then I would be a little worried if you trade him is he going to take off somewhere else? I, I think that there's a realistic chance for that. A- and that might work in the in the favor or in the argument of saying the Rangers should hold on to him. It's too early to give up on him. On the other hand, clearly he has not solidified a role on this team. Clearly he does not have the full confidence of the coach. And clearly he has not been productive enough for anybody to feel super confident about him developing into let's call it a, a middle six center that you can move forward with. There's questions about his ability to play at center. And even in that third line role, he has not done enough to really hammer down the job. Now you could argue where we're having a lot of back and forth here. Cause I think my mind is sort of split on this. You could say, well, look at who he's playing with on the third line. We had this conversation about Lafreniere in the beginning of the show about he needed the opportunity to play with better players and that's helped him take off. Maybe that would do wonders for Heedle. Maybe he needs more of that as well. But given the current state of the team, unless the Rangers are going to try him in that right wing spot next to Panarin and Strom, their center depth is such an issue that the the spot they need him the most is as that third line center. And he probably has to find a way to make it work there to really convince Gallant and convince the Rangers that he can be a long-term solution for them, that he can be a part of their future. So a lot of questions surrounding Heedle right now leading into this trade deadline. And if he makes it past the trade deadline, I think also leading into the summer and what the Rangers did recently by scratching him for a few games, I think only amplified those questions. So I think there's definitely talent there and you talk about his ceiling There is definitely a ceiling that I think could tempt other teams. And again, if you trade him away, you're going to have to wonder, is he going to hit that ceiling somewhere else and make us look bad? But it's sort of been this up and down roller coaster ride for him in the Rangers where he has these flashes. I thought he played one of his best games of the year coming out of the All-Star break. But then he fell flat after that, had a couple games where you didn't notice him nearly as much, and then he gets scratched for a couple games. So it's just like this cycle where he never really seems to pick up momentum and keep it going. It'll be temporary, and then it drops back down. And right now, based on their actions, Gallant doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in him. And of course, he'd like him to play more like Mika Zibanejad. Who wouldn't like to see that? But I didn't think that was a knock against Heedle or, or a personal attack or anything like that. I I just think that Gallant, again, keeping things simple, is saying, hey, if you're going to play like anybody, watch the way that this guy plays, and I'd, I'd love to see you do more of that. Easier said than done, of course. All right. 
Let's get to our next question, which comes from Titans Today, who wrote, do you think Alexi Lafreniere's recent play could make the Rangers consider giving him top power play minutes over Ryan Strom? Also, given that the power play one has cooled off a bit recently, I think a change could provide a spark, especially with Lafreniere's shooting ability from his one-time side. See, I've had a lot of people sending me this question the last couple of days. I'm not sure why this has picked up so much steam, because if you ask me, on the list of concerns for the Rangers right now, the very bottom of that list is Igor Shosturkin and goaltending. The, the Igor in goal is the one thing that you bank on as, you know, that's that's something that you can rely on every single night. The other thing that I think would come right behind Igor on that list is the power play. The Rangers' power play has been outstanding for the most part this season. Every time they go on the power play, you feel like they're a legitimate threat to score. Now, do they have occasional power plays that fall a little flat? Of course, every single team does. But generally speaking, the power play has been a strength for this team. It's been their most consistent source of offense. And I'm just pulling it up now. They are converting over 25% of their power plays. They rank fourth in the league. So I don't really see any reason that you should feel compelled to change up the power play right now. I get that Lafreniere has been playing well and rewarding him, I don't think is a far-fetched idea or something that I would be totally opposed to if the Rangers did decide to do it. But the, the main reward for him right now is that he is playing as a staple on that top line. I think that is the most important thing for his development is not to mess with him right now Keep him with Zabanajad and Kreider. Don't drop him to that third line again. That, I think, would be a huge mistake. But the power play has been so good, and, and those guys have such good chemistry together that I think it makes a lot of sense to just keep that power play as is. Hope that the second unit can develop a little chemistry, although they really don't get used very frequently. So that that's that's kind of a tall, tall order, a tough ask. But... I don't think that this is like some big pressing question that Gallant needs to do or something that's obvious and that the Rangers are overlooking. I would take more of an issue with some of the lineup choices, whether it's scratching Heedle or continuing to play McKeg or playing Nemeth over Zach Jones, which looks like it's going to happen on Wednesday. I would take a bigger issue with those decisions than I would with leaving Ryan Strom on the first power play unit because the first power play unit with Ryan Strom on it has been excellent this season and Again, I don't see any major concern or reason to mess with that right now. Fourth in the league, easily the strong point of their offense right now. And, and I think the power play, I, I, I haven't seen much of a drop-off. Maybe the numbers are slightly lower recently. They're still fourth in the league. And, and I think that they feel pretty dangerous almost every time they get on the ice. So to me, that's not really a question that I feel like needs to be answered at this point. I don't know, again, why I picked up so much steam, but I have noticed quite a few people asking me about that recently. And I, I guess it's because Lafreniere's play has been better recently, which we've talked about at length and I'm, I'm fully on board with and agree with. But the power play is not an issue right now, so I don't, I don't think you need to make something out of nothing in that situation. All right, final question for the week comes from smat25, who asks, do you think they get more or less than a second-round pick for Georgiev? 
Matt, if they could get a second round pick for him, I kind of think that he would have been traded already, if I'm being honest. I think you're looking more at a mid-round pick. I don't know if that's third, fourth round, or maybe more of a marginal prospect, something like that. We've talked about this before. The Rangers have been willing to talk about Georgiev in a deal. I think that they definitely looked into it over the summer. And I just think that, you know, we had heard rumors that they were asking for a first-round pick. I'm sure they would have loved to get a first-round pick. I don't doubt that at all. I do know that their asking price had not has not been met, and so they decided to keep him. And now they're in this situation where it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the trade deadline because, on one hand, you could say he has not done well with this occasional playing time, lack of ice time, only filling in for Igor or once every week or two. Clearly, that is not a good role for him. Clearly, he doesn't really respond well to that. So from that perspective, you could say, well, if you're only playing the backup goalie once every five or six games, why not just go with Keith Kincaid and, and take your chances? If Igor is gets hurt or anything happens to him, then your chances of winning in the playoffs are severely decreased anyway, so you might as well just... Just make the trade for Georgiev while you can. And there's some truth to that. I think if the Rangers got a deal to their liking, a second-round pick, I think, as you touched on, Matt, if, if they got an offer like that, I think they would have to seriously consider it. But on the other hand, if Igor got hurt and you had to play someone as your starter, step into that kind of a role, Georgiev has done pretty well when he's had those opportunities. So you would definitely have more confidence in him than I think you would in Kincaid or Adam Huska or whoever else is next in line. So I think that Georgiev, keeping him on the team, makes sense from that perspective, from the perspective that in a worst-case scenario, if Igor got hurt, Georgiev is your next best option, clearly. And if you play him consistently and he can get some rhythm, then you feel like he's going to give you a chance to win. But on the other hand, you could argue that, okay, Igor has been so good. If he gets hurt, their chances are great of winning are greatly diminished in the playoffs. So why not get something for you, Georgiev while you can? I see it both ways. I think that they are absolutely willing to trade him. And I think if they don't trade him before this trade deadline, he will almost certainly be traded this offseason because the salary cap situation moving forward, as you guys know, will force them to go cheaper for a backup. Georgiev gets paid close to $2.5 million per season right now. The Rangers cannot afford to have a goalie, or a backup goalie, I should say, who's that expensive on the books next year. So I'm fairly convinced that this is his last season on the team, but they still have him under team control this summer. He'll be a restricted free agent, but he can't just go and sign with whoever he wants, so the Rangers would still have the right to trade him. And I think that they would probably find a way to get that done this summer if they don't get a, if they don't find a way to get it done at the trade deadline. But if one of these goalie needy teams, Edmonton, Montreal, Buffalo, those are a few of the teams that come to mind. If they're interested in Georgiev and you can get something of value for him, now you're not going to get a first round pick. I think if you if you're holding out hope for that, you're just going to end up holding on to him forever. But if you can get something second, third round pick or a prospect that you feel like might be able to help you in, in one way or another, 
you're probably going to have to just take your medicine at some point and do it. Maybe you can work him into a bigger package where you include a few different guys. I don't know what the right answer is going to be, but as far as your question, Matt, do I think they get more or less than a second round pick? My gut tells me less. So that's where I think they stand on that. All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to Scott for coming on the show once again. We'll be back next week. I think on our normal day, I'm going to be in the Midwest with the team next week. Minnesota, I think on Tuesday. Yeah, it's on Tuesday. So I'll probably look to record the podcast on Wednesday from St. Louis. So that'll be fun. That'll be exciting. Back on the road next week. I'll keep you guys posted on the happenings from there. Let me know, as always, if you have any good restaurant recommendations, because you know I'm going to be looking to get some good food on that trip. But for now, I'm going to go and start thinking about cooking my own dinner. Hope you have a great week great weekend, all that good stuff, and I will talk to you next week.